If you're thinking, I should go for a run today, but it looks like it could rain, Sierra says, save on epic rain jackets. If you're also thinking, but I can't go out in these beat up old running shoes, Sierra says, save on top brand running shoes. And if you're still thinking, but I'm also busy performing brain surgery, well then we say, you really should have led with that. Sierra, let's get moving to your local store, like now, go. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to the Bike Radar Podcast, brought to you by the team behind BikeRadar.com, Cycling Plus, and MBUK magazines. If you enjoy this episode, please subscribe. And if you can do so, leave us a rating on your podcast provider of choice. It really helps us reach other cyclists like you. Hello and welcome to today's episode of the Bike Radar Podcast. I'm Jack Evans, one of Bike Radar's digital writers, and I'm joined by technical writer Oscar Huckle and our guest Eleanor Yaskowska. Eleanor is an expert randonneur, having completed the 1,200km Paris-Brest-Paris Audax on a fixed-gear bike. She is the founder of the School of Rocks, a women-led off-road cycling community. Oscar recently completed a 300km overnight Audax, so both are experienced long-distance cyclists equipped to tell you all you need to know about Audax. Before we begin, please remember to like, share and subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks very much for joining us, Eleanor. Thank, thanks very much, Oscar. How are you both? Yeah, not too bad. Thanks, Jack. How have you been? Yeah, yeah, very, very good. Um, legs recovered after my first Audax in Pembrokeshire on the weekend. How are you, Eleanor? Oh, nice. Which one did you do? I did the Pembrokeshire end-to-end, two, uh, 200 starting from Tenby. Um, so it yeah. went out to wiggled along the coast to St. David's, then to Strumblehead, where I saw a pod of dolphins. Seriously cool. And then back over the Priscilla Hills to, to Tenby. That sounds amazing. Yeah, I'm, I'm, um, I'm a big, big Wales fan. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, currently at home at my mum's um, in Kamalinshire. So feeling very zen and relaxed. Lovely. And uh, yeah, th- th- thanks for joining us today. Um, I suppose we sh- should probably start with what is an Audax? If if, if some of our listeners are aware of the term, but maybe not exactly sure what it is. Yeah, sure. So Audax is a non-competitive, uh, like long distance, like form of uh, cycling. I guess you could like look online for all the various like definitions and, and things like that. But I think like as somebody who's going to think about entering an Audax or, you know, riding one or maybe even going and volunteering at one first to see what it's all about, it is one of, I think, the most beautiful examples of the cycling community because you have volunteers, organisers, 
and riders and it tends to be a real mixture of people a lot of older riders some younger riders all kinds of bicycles as well you see a lot of trikes tandems recumbents and everybody is just like like you were describing your ride doing something they 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 tend the traditional audax i guess is like 200 kilometers and above but as it's become much more popular there's now much shorter distances available from like 50 kilometers 100 kilometers um and everybody's just really excited to have an amazing day out on the bike you know journeying through beautiful countryside with a ragtag bunch of like-minded individuals would you say that tallies with your first experience oscar yes definitely so Compared to a sportive, I found the uh, community that the Audax attracted that I did um, really friendly. There was always someone to ride with. Uh, So I rode it with Felix, who's the video manager um, for Bike Radar. Um, And there were a couple of points where we weren't riding together because either he was tired or um, he'd gone ahead at one point, as always happens in in that kind of thing. Um, And everyone that I passed was very friendly and... uh, we both joined various groups throughout the throughout the event, so that definitely ties into into my experience. And I'd say, I suppose, comparing an Audax to a Sportive, a Sportive tends to be more expensive as well. But the organisation is done for you, whereas in this, which we'll come on to, um, it's more down to you, and there's less emphasis on on organisation. Eleanor, could you tell us a bit about the history of Audax and where the term comes from? Yeah, sure. Um, I I will caveat this with I'm not an Audax historian, <laughs> um, and I may or may not be referring to the Audax UK website. <laughs> cheat sheet notes, um, but Audax uh, I believe comes from Latin for bold, um, or I guess like audacious, um, and apparently it was first used in the context of endurance sports towards the end of the 19th century. Um, and it kind of, like you mentioned in the intro, I think a lot of Audax um, came out of this legendary bicycle event, the Paris-Brest-Paris, um, which is a ride from in northern France from Paris to Brest and back again. Um, you will um, notice as well that another word that often gets used interchangeably with Audax is randonneuring um, or randonnées. So a randonnée is typically a 200 kilometer um bike ride but if you're going to be really technical about this and in my experience people who ride bikes like being quite technical um an audax is actually a particular type of randonnée where actually the whole group would ride around together with like a route captain so rather than like what we typically think of as an audax where everybody's given a route sheet or a gpx and goes around by themselves collecting stamps and receipts um as proof of passage actually and in, in if you're going to be very uh by the book uh an audax would would be like everybody would stick together with a route captain and if you speak to some people in the uk community like judith swallow who have been doing these kinds of events for decades you know they've got some great stories about you know being route captains and stuff on, on these kinds of events um but that's kind of you know, where it came from. It came from the continent um, and it's kind of developed from this, you know, original uh, Paris-Brest-Paris to loads of events that are 
organized by individual like root organizers um, and then kind of overseen by governing bodies or um, like clubs essentially oh like you know like Audax UK can kind of coordinate everything. And why is Paris-Brest-Paris which is taking place this August one of the overarching goals for an Audaxer um, and what is it like to to ride it Eleanor? Um, I guess it's kind of it's one of I guess it's just like the original um, this is where I should know how old it is but I think it's like the isn't it like the oldest bike race in the world like predates the Tour de France or something you know it's like it's like the original so I guess if 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 you're into a sport you know why would you not want to ride the original you know um, kind of goes right back to the heritage of the sport but I think what's incredible about PBP is that it brings together such an international community of cyclists it's you can you cannot the only way to know what it's like is to do it and I realize that's quite a high barrier to entry to ride quite a long way but it's just on the start on the start it's it's like a, a massive event village I can't even remember how many people did it last time but it's thousands of people and I remember just at the start you're let out the start gates in in waves and just riding along riding along with a peloton of Brazilians Indians people from Japan China and you just you you just kind of realize wow this is a global sport this is a global event and everybody has their own kind of you know, personalities like lots of the Japanese um, cyclists would have little mascots on their caradice and on their bags. Um, lots of the Brazilians are playing music and, you know, this little party peloton. Um, it's just like this big, I think my friend Grace described it as like a cacophony of, of, of cyclists and different cultures all melting together. And then the other incredible thing about PDP is the roadside support from the French so you will be riding along and they will have parked up in their motorhomes and they will be basically offering people free picnics at the side of the road um, or people will have set up little um, parties in their garages if they have a garage that goes along the route. So there was this one guy who just basically has a 24-hour cafe running in his garage and he doesn't ask for anything in return for the coffee and the cake that he gives you. He just asks that when you return home, you write him a postcard, um, which is just amazing. And I remember riding along with some guy in the middle of the night and I was feeling really tired. I was like, oh, and then you just hear from the side of the road, cafe, gato. And I stopped and it was this lovely old couple who were putting on a little, you know, midnight uh, cake stall and it was turned out that the guy I'd been riding with was their like grandson or something and they'd come out to support him. And it's just, it's just absolutely incredible. I, I think it's probably the closest that an amateur cyclist can get to feeling like a professional when you pull into these controls and the whole village has come out to cheer and whoop. And especially I think as a woman, you get so much attention, especially from the young girls and, and, the women of the community because they're like I want to see it they're so excited to see in this sea of of men they see a woman and they're so excited and you get so much cheering and enthusiasm from these people and you're just like obviously you're so sleep deprived and exhausted <laughs> you can get quite overcome with emotion 
if it's such a popular event, how do you qualify for it? So you have to, uh, <laughs> the thing about Audax is that it's, it's so complicated. And I think I remember feeling this as a, as a beginner within the world that there's so many terms and hoops to jump through. Um, so because it's really popular, you can increase your chances of getting a spot by pre-qualifying. So essentially the window that you get to sign up is earlier the longer you rode two years previously. <laughs> so so two years before PBP, I did a ride called Millie Cymru, which is a 1,000 kilometre ride around Wales. Highly recommend it. Uh, don't think it runs anymore, um, but uh, just beautiful. Um, so did that, which meant that I had a nice early window to, uh, to pre-register. And then you have to qualify by riding a super randomer series. So that is riding a 200 kilometer, 300 kilometer, 400 kilometer and 600 kilometer events. They have to be uh, BRM events, which means some slightly different rules. Uh, <laughs> classic. <laughs> um, but yeah, essentially you, you do these two, three, four, 600 events in the season beforehand um, to then secure your place on PBP. And who's the governing body for Audax in, in the UK? Uh, in the UK, it's Audax UK. Um, and then um, it's Audax Club Parisienne who oversee like PVP. And Oscar, uh, would you, if you're interested in doing more Audaxes, would you consider joining the, uh, becoming a member of Audax UK? Is it sort of worth it? Yes, I think I would. So for the Audax that I did last year, uh, I just joined uh, without having a membership and that, and that was fine, but I'm planning on probably doing three or four or maybe even more this year. So I'll probably probably uh, become a member. Um, the price of Audaxes tends to be much lower than a than a sportive. So if you want to try an Audax and you haven't got a, an Audax UK membership, then then the the price to enter should be achievable for for everyone. Yeah, they vary in cost from a couple of pounds to I think the one I the one I did on the weekend was fifteen up to maybe seventy pounds for some quite slightly more supported, definitely not like uh, bare bones events, but those would probably be six hundred kilometers long, and even then you're only looking at the price of a fairly standard sportive. So they are yeah they are quite competitively priced, but yeah very much self supported. Eleanor, what other um, awards? might people aim for if they're not trying to become if they're not trying to ride parry breast parry so there's there's loads of awards and badges that you can aim for you can get individual like distance awards and badges or like cumulative um like distance awards and badges one of the most popular ones i think is the randonner around the year um, and this is actually it's a really hard one to achieve because it requires consistency through the seasons. Um, so randoner around the year or RRTY uh, is to ride a distance of at least 200 kilometers every calendar month for a year. Um, and people will keep it going. Yeah, so there are some people out there who've got 10. They've, they've been going for 10 years, 200 kilometers every every month yeah I met, years. I met someone on uh, Saturday who had been doing it for 14 years in a row it's just nuts isn't it which is when you consider life you know actually doing just December when you've got you know family stuff Christmas everything to find a day where the weather's you know 
friendly enough to think, yeah, I'm going to go out and do 200K when it's cold and dark. And it's really impressive, I think. Funnily enough, one of my aims for this year is to ride at least a century every month. So it sounds like I need to step it up by 25 miles to get to 200K. Yeah, just nudge it up. Just find a really good cafe at the other end. We're going to discuss proof of passage now and um, brevet cards. So what is a brevet card and why might you need to keep receipts from a cafe on an Audax? So cast your mind back to a time before uh, GPS devices. Um, and I guess this is this is where the the sort of the brevet cards and the proof of passage comes from. So brevet means like certificate pretty much. Um, and it's a little card that you carry with you. And so when you do an Audax event, you have certain points that you have to pass through um, and achieve uh, proof of passage. If it's uh, what would normally be called like a, a, a manned control, it's not very gender neutral language, staffed. Uh, but um, staffed, there we go, thank you. A staffed control, um, it might be a village hall um, with some volunteers in there with some stamps. Um, or it might be what we would call a free control, where it's just you have to pass through hey on why, and you just get a receipt from any shop, essentially to, to that will have obviously a timestamp to say that you were you went through there. Um, and so this is essentially then sent off. You give it to the organizer at the end of your ride, um, and it's validated by AUK as proof that you did the ride within the time allowance. Uh, sort of permitted um and so then you end up basically it, it, it feels a little bit like um not geocaching but sort of like almost like not oh, treasure hunting but you know you're kind of going around you're, you're treasuring your brevet card if it's rainy you might be keeping it in a little plastic pouch to make sure it doesn't get wet and you're sort of cherishing this little thing and every time you stop you pull it out of your pocket and present it to the volunteer for them to stamp it you know you're feeling increasingly proud about this little piece of paper that's accumulating all these stickers and stamps and receipts and um yeah they can they can be a bit dogged by the end of the ride Definitely had the obligatory uh, photo of an uh, empty brevet card at the start of my Audax and uh, and at the end of it all completed and stamped. Yeah, that must be really satisfying to see it um, completed and sort of authenticated. Um, using both the uh, brevet card and the e-brevet app, which some organisers are trying to encourage people to use, which authenticates your location based on your GPS coordinates. And it worked really well, but not on Strumblehead, which is very, very West Wales. So, but fortunately, there was yeah that that, that control was also um, staffed by by two volunteers. And if you're doing your own Audax, you're making your own route, perhaps in a determined attempt to complete the Randonneur around the Year Award. How do you prove that you've completed a ride? Yeah, so you can do what are called DIY events, um, do it yourself, which you can validate by uh, GPS. Um, so you essentially you you buy virtual brevet cards on the Audax UK website and they're like three pounds or something really cheap. Um, and essentially then you submit it. Each region will have its own DIY like coordinator. Um, and so you can come up with your own route um, and you can also do. Um, you could do somebody else's event as a um, is this the right terminology, like as a perm. So somebody might set up their route. Um, as a permanent event and you could just message them so you say hey mark rigby i really want to do your ride i couldn't do it on the day of the calendar event i was busy but i really want to do your ride 
can I enter it? And so then you pay them the entry fee, the £12 or whatever, um, and they will post you the brevet card. And then you can use that to sort of collect um, your receipts in um, or note any information controls um, and then send it back to them. And I think it is worth saying that Audax organisers go to, they put a lot of work into designing their routes. They will route check them. They will do uh, like safety, um, like risk assessments on the roads themselves. Um, and so if you do find a route online from an, an Audax organiser and you think, oh, I really want to do that, rather than just like pinching the GPX off the internet, um, it's actually really good to email them and say, hey, I really want to do this route. Uh, you know, can I ping you a couple of quid for it? Because it's worth noting that they do they put a lot of time and effort in um, and uh, blessed are the route makers. And what about GPX files? Uh, are those accepted by some organisers? Yeah, and definitely like if you lose your brevet card, you can send in a GPX file as like proof of. Um, but I think it's also worth remembering that like some people will also choose to do Audax rides without GPXs. So um, you get like a little root sheet and, oh my gosh, if you try, try and find one of these root sheets and try and read them, it's like shorthand because it'll be like, little abbreviations meaning signpost roundabout um but essentially these are how people would, would figure their way around an, an, an audax route um before gpx's um and garmin's and wahoo's and everything um so yes it's interesting what you were saying about the ebreve app and how it's trying to modernize but also i think i think one of the really lovely things about about these kinds of events is that at the beginning you get this piece of paper and it's blank and it's just got a bunch of little blank squares and then there's something very satisfying about filling that up um and then having it posted back to you a few weeks after the event um you know all stamped and validated so um i don't know i think while i am a you know adopter of technology i think i'd never i'd never personally move away from a brevet card i think it's it's just a really lovely sweet way of remembering it and then you just you can put them up on the wall or just like have them in a drawer at home and remember when you used to be that, that great cyclist <laughs> did you choose to have your brevet card sent back home jack yeah i did yeah i, I dropped it at the uh, at the cafe afterwards um th i thought it'd be nice to have a physical memento of it um rather than just an up an email alerting alerting you after uploading from the ebreve app so yeah that'd be nice to have and I want to talk about the different types of routes now. Um, Oscar, your ride um, was an overnighter in November, which is uh, takes a certain type of grit, doesn't it? Um, but they don't have to... There's there's a great variety. They don't all have to be that hard, do they? No. Um, so as Eleanor was explaining, there's a variety of distances and, and routes uh, and they start at different times of the day. So you could be starting early in the morning um, or later in the day or, or at night like I did. So... The one that I did was a 308k uh, Audax starting in Bristol and it went down to the south coast and back uh, and it started at 10pm. So trying to prepare uh, food wise and not being tired to start at that time was uh, a challenge in itself. Um, and then uh, because it was 308k I thought I'm not going to uh, ride this and not do 200 miles so I added a bit more at the end to get it up over the 320 kilometer mark great effort um Eleanor, do you have any preference for the, the type of route you do um do you particularly like climbing uh like a super grandpa route or something a bit flatter yeah so i um 
I'm not a, I'm definitely not a mountain goat, but I absolutely love the AAA rated uh, route. So these are the Audax Altitude Awards. And so there's a number of points allocated to a route based on how many meters of climbing it has. And like you mentioned, you can get these like Grimper and Super Grimper awards for completing a certain number of AAA points in an ORDAC season. Um, but I think why I love them is because the the routes that have these hills in them tend to take you to the most beautiful places. And I think that's one of the best things about these kinds of events is that because you're kind of moving with intent, you're not cycling super quickly because you're going all day or for several days, you're cycling with intent, you're keeping yourself well-fueled. And it's just incredible the amount of landscape that you can cover in that time. And it's just amazing if you do, you know, a, a ride, like you said, you can be, you know, in the morning, you can be on the coast watching dolphins, you know, and then in the afternoon, you know, riding over the Priscelli Hills. And I just think those those kinds of, um, yeah, the AAA or the super hilly routes, while they are <laughs> not for the faint-hearted, um, they just, they, I just think they take you to some of the most beautiful places in, in the UK, definitely. What are the logistics involved with doing a maybe a ride over 400 kilometers where you might need to sleep on the way yeah how do you how do you deal with that like you mentioned sleep deprivation in parry brass parry yeah so um the organizers will always um for i think for any um any event that includes like an overnighter there'll usually be like a scout hut or a village hall or um in um, PBP, they use a lot of um, schools and gymnasiums and stuff um, where you can sleep. And it will be um, going to be pretty uh, straight up. Not the best night's sleep of your life. <laughs> um, you also see people um, taking naps at the side of the road. On PBP, you get a lot of people who bring like a space blanket and will just tuck down at the side of the road and just look like a giant jacket potato <laughs> in their rustly wrapper. Um but yeah, essentially, if you're riding, if you're doing like a 400k, 600k or longer event, you're going to have to sleep at some point unless you're super, super rapid. Um, and so you will just kip down. Um, if So um, on um, Millie Cymru and on um, London, Edinburgh, London, they're super organized. They have like a Audax UK, I think, essentially like has like a pool of airbeds and blankets and stuff. And so they'll cart these around and they'll often um, run a drop bag kind of service. So you can put um, some items, you could put like some fresh shorts and some toiletries and maybe some fresh contact lenses into a, a bag that will get um, dropped at the various um, controls for you so that you don't have to carry it all yourself. Um, but it, it's just a small like drawstring bag. So you can't, <laughs> you can't put too much in there. Um, and so then you have different approaches and, and it's definitely something to mention with controls is that they can be a little bit of a time sink, um, especially on these bigger events. By the time you've queued to get your brevet card stamped, queued to get some food, um, you then might have lost the best part of an hour. Um, and so then you might decide to just, yeah, just kip down um, if they have space. Um, if they don't have space, then you might think, oh, well, how far is the next control? Oh, I'll just, you know, go there. Or you might be riding along and, and spot an Audax hotel, also known as a bus stop, and think that one that one looks comfortable. It's got a bench. I'll be off the floor. If it's a five-star Audax hotel, it might have a free public toilet next door to it so that you can um, go to the loo and have a little wash. So 
um yeah there's definitely a lot of uh, tactics that come into how do you sleep where do you sleep how long do you allow yourself to to sleep um but yeah it's never it's never the best night's sleep and so you always wake up the next morning feeling a little bit worse for wear and looking for the the nearest uh, pile of instant coffee grounds to revive yourself if if that is the experience um what what is the appeal, appeal of audaxing and so oscar what's made you want to go back to to have another go at audaxing i think it's the sense of achievement and riding with like-minded individuals uh, and also the challenge of riding something that you would such as a distance that you typically wouldn't cover uh and it's far more exciting trying to complete a route that, that's been devised for that distance rather than trying to come up with something yourself and being able to ride with, with others. Mm-hmm. Getting on to, to bike and equipment, what is, what's your preferred bike for audaxing, Eleanor? Well, um, I, I would say my preferred bike is not the fixed gear. Um, <laughs> Because it makes every, I mean, in some ways, riding fixed makes things a lot easier. It's much more simpler, less to go wrong, um, and you get certainly get a lot of kudos from your fellow riders. Um, and uh, but then on the flip side, I've since been back to uh, northern France, Brittany, and Normandy um, on a geared bike and enjoyed thoroughly enjoyed freewheeling down the sort of gradual downhills. Um, or you know, switching into a lower gear and, and enjoying some free speed, uh, which you don't get without uh, without a freewheel and a derailleur. Um, I think the most important thing for an Audax is a bike that you are comfortable on. Um, so for a lot of people, that might be you know, a more relaxed road bike. Um, you st- see a lot of old school steel frames. Um, definitely, like as as wide a tire as you can run, just for the, the comfort. Um, and I would in the UK in particular, highly recommend mudguards, both for you and for your fellow riders. They're not compulsory anymore, I don't think. Um, but I think it's just, it's just polite, isn't it? Adding on to that, um, I was quite surprised when I was riding my Audax, how many people were riding one by drivetrains, um, which to me doesn't, doesn't seem like a logical choice, but I suppose perhaps it, gets rid of the need for the front derailleur so there's less to go wrong and I suppose if your hands get tired over a long distance you've just got one shifter to, to worry about uh, and I think I was the only no, rider not to have some sort of bike packing bag on the bike I carried it all in, in my pocket um, pockets of my jersey uh, whereas every other rider had some form of bag on the bike to hold all their luggage yeah, at the start of the Audax in in Tenby on Saturday, it was like it was like a Caradice catalogue. There were so many different types of Caradice. Yeah, yeah. It was. <laughs> I went for a frame bag, which I think is probably slightly more aerodynamic than a than a saddle bag, or certainly a, and a handlebar bag as well. Um, how do you tend to carry stuff, particularly on the longer Audaxes, Eleanor? Yeah, so I um, tend to have. Uh, like a small saddle bag on the on the longer ones with just like maybe some clean shorts um on pbp for example and um and long rides with overnight stops i'll tend to take a, a silk sleeping bag liner just as a very lightweight um extra layer often the blankets that if there are blankets applied at the overnights uh they're often quite like um scratchy then you know so it's just um and also means that nobody else has to then use a blanket that's covered in my sweat uh, 
um but yeah um i tend not to use frame bags uh, because i'm i'm quite a, a small person it's quite hard to find a frame bag that will fit on my bike frames and also allow me with plenty of space for my water bottles um and i'll also use some kind of top tube bag um so i run a dynamo um in my front wheel um which um, will power my light and a little USB charger. So having a little top tube bag means that I can plug in a little cash battery um, to charge essentially from the dynamo as I, I ride along. And then I'll use that to charge my, uh, recharge my uh, phone or my GPS. And then I might run like a little um, handlebar bag um, with just some extra snacks and yeah, uh, well, maybe well, some extra inner tubes and things in. What, um, yeah, both of you, how do you recommend handling nutrition on these these long rides? So on my one, um, I I carried essentially a bar for every hour of riding that I, that I envisaged that I'd be doing um, and some gels um, and then took some away because I knew there was going to be a big breakfast stop halfway through and I knew that one of the controls was at a service station. Uh, so I accounted for that um, and... Luckily, it worked, <laughs> but yeah, I think I need to do a few more audaxes to to uh, finalise a nutrition strategy. Yeah, I I remember. I think I remember. You're sort of about the Moonrakers, aren't you? Yeah. Um. Yeah, I remember doing that one and having a massive jacket potato at the breakfast stop in pool, and then you hit the black down hills, and all so all the blood in my body had gone to my stomach to digest this massive jacket potato and I remember my legs just being absolutely useless and just struggling over the hills <laughs> going on from that actually um, um I intentionally didn't eat a lot uh, for breakfast because I because I knew that if I'd have had a lot to eat I yeah struggled as well so it's yeah, all, it's it all about timing a, isn't it yeah like, yeah trying to avoid a big big potato before lots of climbs um, <laughs> before a massive climb yeah. but then I definitely think that with these long rides it's really important to eat real food personally for me um I just find that if if you're eating lots of sweets and gels you know day in day out um one um it's quite bad for your mouth and you'll start to develop like um mouth ulcers uh because your 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 saliva is getting quite acidic um but also just in terms of like gi like gastro like stress um it's really important just to eat uh for, eat food that you are used to um and also learn what your body tolerates so my partner for example uh started to find that if he had like milk and dairy products at night um that really didn't agree with him so he you know he stopped doing that um and i've also found that being uh dehydrated as well can give me um almost like uh, like acid reflux kind of indigestion so as well as eating a lot you have you really have to be drinking um because you're also like you're losing water from from sweat and the wind your nose might be dripping constantly if it's winter um and uh, so just remembering to like stay on top of of the basics it's really important with long distance rides uh just just to look after yourself basically try yeah. to drink at least one 750 ml bottle every hour and i think that worked well as well yeah and how do you prepare for any length audax whether it's 200k or 1000 kilometers in terms of training i suppose I'm really not the person to ask. I definitely fall into the winging it camp. <laughs> um, 
I think it's, you know, obviously like study the route, know, know where the hills are. So, you know, where not to time your jacket potato, <laughs> um, uh, ride your bike. I think the best, the best, you know, training for things like this is time in the saddle, partly to, um, get your body used to it, get your undercarriage used to it and your hands. Um, but also your, your brain, I think the, the mental side of these events, um, can be really challenging, especially on the longer ones. It's, you know, it can be really overwhelming to be like, Oh, I've got to ride a thousand kilometers rather than thinking, Oh no, I've got to ride 60 kilometers to the first control and then 80 kilometers to the next control. Um, and just figuring out, you know, what strategies work for you, whether that's mental strategies or nutrition strategies. Um, and also I think, Another great thing that comes from time in the saddle is knowing when when your bike breaks, how to fix it or, or what things are likely to go wrong with your bike. Um, and ideally then taking it to a mechanic in time to have it properly sorted before before turning up. Definitely looking after looking after your body and looking after your bike are uh, great things to do before a big event. Helen, I think that's a really good point to end it on there. Uh, thanks very much um, for, for your time. That's been really interesting speaking to you. Thanks for having me. And thanks very much, Oscar, as well. Check. Thanks for listening to the Bike Radar podcast. If you did enjoy this podcast, please give us a five-star rating on your favourite podcast provider. And if there's anything we can improve, we'd be grateful for your feedback on the article at bikeradar.com or you can email us at bikeradar at podcast.com. Also, please do subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and share with whoever you think might enjoy it too. Thanks again for listening and speak soon. Thanks for listening to the Bike Radar Podcast. If you've not done so already, please subscribe and share with your friends or leave us a rating if you've enjoyed this episode.